Hello, my name is Sayla, and I'm going to be reading chapters Mark 14. They went to a place called Geth- Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to deep- be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you sleeping? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you sleeping and resting in it? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Good job, Sailor Grace. She's mine. <laughs> Every week, one of our kids, uh, not all of them going to be my kids, but uh, probably could make it through Lent, but... Uh, One of our city kids or city youth are going to come up and read the text for us every Sunday as we journey through this together. Uh, Let me make one quick announcement. I know we just did some announcements, but uh, I I don't always overhype things or tell you like, hey, this is a must uh, do. But for all of our families, let me me just say the best thing that we're going to do all year that we want you to be a part of is family camp. This is April 1st through the 3rd. So uh, if you have any kids from birth all the way through high school, then we would love for you to join us. We have rented out what was Dry Gulch. Now it's New Life Ranch, Frontier Cove, which is like an amusement park. Um, and we're going to be there Friday night through Sunday, kind of morning-ish till about, uh, till about noon. We would love for you to be a part of what God's going to do there. And let me just say, there's so many reasons. Uh, A couple of them, number one, memory-making events with your family. We're going to have a great time. We've set this up to be fun. It's not just going to be like sessions and services, but a lot of free time uh, where you're going to make memories as a family. Number two, this is where church family starts to feel like family. And so maybe even if you're newer to City Church and you're like, ah, we don't know a lot of people, this is an opportunity to hang out and be together for several days to build those relationships. Then number three, We are very serious about family discipleship. And so whether you have no family discipleship plan or you've started something, what's going to happen during this two and a half days is really we're going to help you take some small manageable steps that you start the conversation at family camp and you can continue the conversation when you get home to help you disciple your kids and your family. Because we get your kids one hour a week, you get your kids many hours a week. And we want to resource you and equip you to be the chief disciple makers in your family. So you can go on cc.guide. All the information about Family Camp is on there. Uh, there's a discount code if you need it. So if finances are a struggle, use the discount code. If you need more help than that, we want to invest that in you. We do not want that to be the reason you do not attend. And so please let us know April 1st through the 3rd. I will be there. All of our staff and families will be there. We want you to join us. It's going to be a great time. This morning, we're, we're beginning our Lent series uh, at the Shadow of the Cross. And we're going to start in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, I've shared some of my story over the years. Some of you have probably heard this, but uh, not always do you have a a moment in life. Some people have kind of a a salvation moment or a moment where God just gripped your heart in a special way. And and sometimes you don't have that. Sometimes it's a progression of little moments or just a journey that that God takes you on to belief and faith and salvation. Uh, I'd grown up in in church my entire life, uh, was there almost every night of the week, grandfather, uh, a pastor. And so church was a part of life. 
uh, and I did what every good church kid did. I went to kids camp, I went to middle school intermediate camp, and I went to youth camp. And I'm at youth camp in 1998. It was a Tuesday night, June 23rd. It will be forever etched in my mind. But it wasn't just the normal youth camp experience. In fact, the service had ended. Kids left. If you've ever been to youth camp, what you do is everybody goes over to like the snack area and you just gorge yourself because your parents aren't there until you have to go to bed, until they tell you to go back to your dorms. And so everybody was doing that. But I just felt deep down inside that the Holy Spirit was just telling me to stay where I was. Like I had been there so long that even the piano player left. That's how you know church is over, right? <laughs> the Spirit of God has stops moving once the keyboard leaves, right? And she was gone. It was just me in this empty sanctuary. And I could sit here for, forever and tell you the deep work that God did in me that night. But I just want to give you one quick picture of it. I kind of began to, I moved outside the sanctuary. This was actually an open air sanctuary, so there were no walls. And so I just literally sat outside on some rocks outside the sanctuary. And I looked up at this, on the hill, there were three crosses on the hill. And I'd I'd seen the presence of God move. I'd grown up in church, but it kind of had always been for other people. And for whatever reason, that night, God began to grip my heart and I experienced the presence of God. And it wasn't a moment. It wasn't because we hit the high note in the song. It wasn't because someone was asking me to come forward. It was simply just because the presence of God was there. And I just began to weep. And I couldn't tell you why I was weeping. But once I started, I couldn't stop. And I just sat there and I stared at these crosses and I just began to weep. Now, as I got older, as I'm older today, I look back on June 23rd, 1998 And I can tell you that that night, God gave me an unexpected and undeserved gift. You say, what what is the gift? And as I look back on it, the gift was this. I became, for the first time, I began to realize the effect of my own sin. God gave me a reality of my sin and the love and the goodness of God. And literally, I just sat there and kind of looking at these crosses and the reality of what my sin had done and what Jesus had done for me. And something drastically shifted me that night because I, it was kind of one of those moments now that you sing the songs Amazing Grace. Yeah, we sing that. I've heard that before. But now I realize I'm the wretch, right? I'm the prodigal son. I'm the older brother. I'm the one in the story. The story is not for somebody else. The story is about me. How many know it takes a while to get to that point, that re- reality? Oh, we're singing about me and my sin. And I didn't even know what a precious gift that was. In the moment, the reality of my own sin. Let me say this. In the season of Lent, we recognize that the knowledge of our sin is something not to reject, but it's an incredible gift. You're like, Pastor, that doesn't sound like an incredible gift. But it is. Because of what the knowledge of your sin, the fruit that it produces inside of you, when you really grasp your sin, what it's done to separate you and what Jesus did to win you and redeem you, that's when your faith takes on a whole new journey. And we don't know how and when and God's sovereignty. Sometimes God reveals that to us a little bit at a time. Sometimes we have a moment. Sometimes it seems supernatural and sometimes it seems rather ordinary and everyday. But we always pray, God, would you reveal that in us? And that's what we're going to pray during the season of Lent. Father, as we sit in the shadow of the cross, would you help us become aware of our sin? Would the cross lead us to repentance? Can I just tell you, Lent series, uh, a series on Lent is never easy to preach. 
I wouldn't naturally just preach on the cross if it wasn't part of the Christian calendar. Like I would preach on it every once in a while, but I wouldn't do 40 straight days of us going to the cross. But that's what the Christian calendar does. It helps us to lean into the difficulty of the cross. Over the next 40 days, we're actually going to look at the last 18 hours of the life of Jesus. From Thursday, starting in the garden, all the way till Friday night when Jesus is buried and laid into the tomb. And we're going to set, we're going to go through the stations of the cross and we're going to lean into the shadows of the cross. And can I just tell you, it's going to be uncomfortable because the cross is uncomfortable. The cross is an instrument of death and pain. And, and we can celebrate it. And this is the tension you and I hold during Lent. We celebrate what the cross represents. But anytime you journey with Jesus and you look at the reality of the cross, it is again, an instrument of death and pain and it's difficult. And when Jesus calls us to carry our cross and go with him on this journey of discipleship. And we're going to look from the garden all the way up to the burial of Jesus. And then we're going to gather together like we did last year at Camp Lawfridge outside on Good Friday. And we're going to light the candles and we're going to walk through the, the, the process and sit in the shadow of the cross that night. And then we're going to gather back here on Sunday morning on Easter and we're going to celebrate that Christ is risen. And so what we do during the season of Lent is as we corporately walk through the journey and, and feeling the highs and lows of walking with Jesus, what, what the church sometimes want to do is we just want to jump to celebration, which celebration is great, right? But how many know the celebration means more when you've sat in the shadows of the cross, when you've internalized what it means for Jesus to do this, and then you go to the resurrection day and you realize what's taken place. And we're going to do that in this season of Lent. This morning, we're going to look at the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe the Garden of Gethsemane is the death before the death. It's the death Jesus went through in his spirit and soul before he actually physically gave his body. In fact, uh, James Edwards says it like this. He says, the cross is, the mat is a matter of the heart before it is a matter of the hand, a matter of the will before it is an empirical reality. What he's saying is that in the garden, something happened in the life of Jesus and that he laid down his life in his spirit, knowing that next day he would actually have to give, lay down his life. And often that's our reality. Before we get into these moments and battles, we have to choose whether or not we're going to lay down our life. Gethsemane is, comes from an Aramaic word meaning oil press. And literally the, the olive trees, the all around Gethsemane, some of you who have gone to Israel with us and, and we'll take a trip again. We had to cancel the last one because of COVID. But if you ever get one opportunity in your life to go to Jerusalem, to go to Israel, you should do it. If you, if you went with us last time, we literally stood on the Mount of Olives and then we walked the trail down to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a church there today. We did a devotional there. Some of those olive trees that are there, they believe have been there over 2,000 years ago. And to sit there and read the garden story with trees that Jesus more than likely set under, I'm sorry, but like the, the Bible geek in me is, 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 that's just over the top. And we sat there and we literally looked at the Kidron Valley below us and you could see the Dome of the Rock and where the Western Wall was and all the last moments of Jesus' life are literally just hundreds of yards in front of you right there. And we sat in the reality of Jesus being here, knowing that he would soon be walking there to Golgotha. And knowing that even this place meaning oil press is the place where our Messiah would be under such pressure that he would utter these words, my soul is overwhelmed even to the point of death. I want you to stop for a minute and I want you to internalize what the words of Jesus were saying. I am so overwhelmed with what is right before me. I don't know if I can make it. 
This story of the garden is where Jesus, I believe, becomes very tangible to us. There may be times in the life of Jesus you're like, I can't really relate. You just seemed to be fully God in this moment and beyond my understanding. And there are moments where you're like, no, I get it. I can see where what, what Jesus was going through. And you see both the humanity and divinity. Remember, Jesus never stepped out of his humanity. He never stepped out of his divinity. He was both at the same time, right? And you see this at work, that, that Jesus in this moment is like, remove this cup from me. What is the cup? Suffering. This is Jesus saying what you and I would have said. Guess what? I don't want to suffer. Who wants to suffer? At the same time, you see the divinity saying, but nevertheless, I'm going to submit my will to the Father. Not my will be done, but your will. Like you see this at play. Like the same Jesus who just walks on water now sits down at the well of Sakaar because after the day's journey, he's thirsty and he's tired. Both divinity and humanity. The same Jesus who heals this man of leprosy and the crowds begin to follow and he does these miracles. You know what he does next? He withdraws to a solitary place because he has to be renewed and refreshed in the Father. This is the humanity and divinity of Jesus that we wrestle with. That he came and he felt what you and I feel. He, there was pain, there was difficulty, there was struggle. He didn't get to bypass that because of the divinity part. And we see that first and foremost in the garden in this moment. What does Jesus do? If you were to the point of death, didn't know if you could carry the weight, what would you do? You would call friends, you would call your pastor, you would call people in the church, your small group, your micro church, whatever it may be, and you'd be like, I need help right now. Would you pray for me? Would you come here? What does Jesus do? He grabs his inner circle of disciples. Hey, come to the garden with me. Keep watch. What did keep watch me? Pray for me. Intercede for me right now. I am so overwhelmed. I don't know if I can carry this. Jesus becomes so tangible in this moment. He wants to avoid death and suffering just like you and I would. He wants to say, is there another way to do this? Is there another way out? But also in Gethsemane, Jesus empties himself of divine privilege in order to share in our suffering and to take our place. And let me tell you, in the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane, there is so much good theology packed in this. If you really listen to what Jesus prays, because you're going to go through suffering and you're going to go through difficulty. And some of you in this room right now, if you were honest, you'd be like, man, I'm in that. I'm in that valley. What do you pray when you're in the valley? That reveals a lot about who you are. In fact, I think more of your theology and what you know about God is revealed in the valley, right? Than the mountaintop. What do you do when you can't make sense? What do you do when the path set before you is not what you would choose or not what you want? Can we look at just four things that Jesus prays on this? And number one is this, is intimacy. He says, Abba, Father. Abba is a term of endearment. Abba is not a term that you use if God is distant and far and removed. No, he goes to God in his moment of need, knowing that what what the life of Jesus was unified and organized around this concept of prayer. Did you know in everything in Jesus' life, he's either coming from prayer or he's going to prayer? The ministry of Jesus begins with prayer, it's sustained by prayer, and it ends with prayer. Like, I cannot read the Gospels and then stop and look at my own life and be like, man, my prayer life is sporadic. Jesus always seemed to be in a rhythm of prayer, right? Always. And so here is Jesus in this rhythm of prayer and intimacy. And so it's just another moment for him to go to his heavenly father and say, Abba, Father. Let me stop here for a minute and say this. If you don't know your father as Abba, When you walk through something like this, you'll question the goodness of God. 
You'll question whether or not God's in control. God, why would you do this? God, if you were in control, I shouldn't be going through fill in the blank. But when you know fully that your God is good and for you, then you go in the midst of your suffering like Jesus did, and you're like, man, I've come to you with everything else, Father. I come to you in this moment because you're Abba, because you're near, because you're close. You're not a God who's withdrawn. You didn't take the day off. You are close and near to me in this moment. Number two is this. Jesus prays a prayer of faith. It's hard to pray a prayer of faith sometimes when you're suffering. When you're walking through it and you're like, I think God might be able to, but will he? Should I put myself in the potential disappointment of being let down? Should I even pray it? Anybody ever been there? Just me. Should I even pray that? He says this, Father, everything is possible for you. Father, there's nothing that's beyond you. I know that if if you wanted to find another way, God, you could find another way. And I'm so glad that Jesus prayed that because you and I would pray that, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we pray that? God, if there's another way out of this cup of suffering and this road, but here's why we pray, God, when and how you choose to do it is, it's a mystery. We don't manipulate God into doing anything for us. We pray a prayer of faith. God, in your mystery, I know that you can. And God, sometimes you choose to, and sometimes you work in other ways. And sometimes we have to walk through the road of suffering. And God, I believe you and trust you regardless of the outcome. Now that's hard, isn't it? Regardless of what, if you give me what I want, I will worship you. A prayer of faith. Let me tell you, if you call Pastor Matt and you're like, Pastor Matt, I need you to come to the hospital and pray for me. I'm about to have this procedure, surgery. I'm going through this. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to show up. I'm going to pray for strength and peace and all those things, but I'm probably going to anoint with you with oil and I'm going to pray a prayer that God would supernaturally, miraculously heal you in the moment. Why? Because God can. I've, I've seen God do that. Now, I don't know when and how and why does God choose to do it. No, that's a mystery and I'm not going to play God, but I'm going to pray that prayer. And I love that Jesus prays that prayer of faith. Everything is possible, worship you, Father. If you can remove this cup, which brings us to the third part, which is honesty. How are you in the honesty portion of your prayer? Right? Some of you may have grown up into this certain uh, kind of sect of, of theology, of denomination way back in the day. I kind of grew up around some of this, that admitting something and being honest about something was seen as a lack of faith or belief, which is a bunch of baloney. We would have to remove most of the Psalms if we did that. I'm so glad Jesus has this where he says, remove this cup if it's possible. Remove this cup. Just the honest confession of take this cup from me. I don't want to walk down this road. How many times did the psalmist just pour out their heart and say, man, if there's any other way, right? Why why did the psalmist say, I'm so sick of like looking around at the wicked and they prosper. Here I am. I'm faithful. I'm like, walking through it. All these wicked people seem to be carefree. Anybody ever felt that way? Why, God? And it's almost like the psalmist like confesses themselves back to belief. It's almost like they just get to this place where after they've just confessed it and got it out, they're like, but then I walked into the sanctuary of God. I experienced your presence and I realized their destiny. And I realized my destiny. Your honesty is not a lack of faith. In fact, sometimes that's exactly what you need. God knows your heart anyway. To be able to walk in and say, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want this. God, I don't understand this. In fact, I don't see in this moment, God, how you're working through this, to be honest. But then Jesus does number four, which is pretty key, which is surrender. 
Is there a more powerful word in the entire Bible than the word nevertheless? Can you think about that for a moment? Where he says, nevertheless. No, this is not the road that I would have chosen nevertheless. Here's what I want to ask you. This is actually a pretty tough question. What's your nevertheless? You're going to have one. God, I didn't sign up to, to have to walk through this physical ailment and disease, which I don't know if it's going to leave, nevertheless. God, why do I have crippling anxiety and fear and things that sometimes are even hard to navigate through, nevertheless? God, I, I, I thought I'd be married by this time. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to get this job. I thought I would be here, nevertheless. How many know it's really hard to say, Nevertheless. It really is. Jesus in this moment crying out his heart before the Father saying, man, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know if I can do this. I don't want this path in this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but the will of my Father be accomplished. How many know it takes a level of spiritual maturity to be able to say that? I think that's a journey that you have to go on. Of, of getting to the place in your life where you can express this nevertheless moment. One of my favorite messages to preach is on uh, Peter's denial, right? That Peter's going to deny Jesus. And then he's going to think that it's over. And what does Jesus do? And I'm so glad we get this in the Gospel of John. Is, is, is Jesus actually invites Peter to come back in. And this is a moment where he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, you know I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? Yes, but I'm really uh, not happy that you asked me again, right? Peter, do you love me? Now I'm ticked off because you wouldn't have asked me three times if you'd have known it, right? What did Peter have to get to? Peter had to get to a place of brokenness and emptiness. And it was that place of brokenness and emptiness that Jesus, that, that, that Peter actually thinks, well, it's over and it's not, it's just the beginning. The place of surrender in our lives where Jesus says, in spite of what is before me, in spite of how I feel or what I'm experiencing or what I want to do, I'm going to submit to the will of my father. Can I tell you that's what it means to pick up your cross? When you pick up your cross, you don't pick up your cross on your conditions. You don't pick up your cross based on what you want. At some point of your cross, it's going to directly conflict with what you wanted in your life, right? Do we pray the prayer in that moment, nevertheless? Nevertheless. God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sign up for this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be accomplished. If you're taking notes and following along, Jesus' obedience to the will of the Father becomes our example of discipleship. This is, this is the moment where Jesus' obedience becomes our, our example. It becomes the model for how we are to live our life. How many know the disciples are not yet prepared for their, for their road of discipleship? They're not. Jesus three times comes to them and says, would you watch and pray for me? What happens all three times? They fall asleep. Right? Is anybody here like, man, I'm really glad the disciples are in the Bible. It makes me feel better about my spiritual walk. <laughs> I feel that. I spoke for my good friend John at Cornerstone Church last week, and I shared this story in part of my message. Like, can you imagine there's this documentary crew uh, following the disciples around, and like every time you just do something awesome, like every time you go out of your way to like do something really good, they leave it out of the documentary? <laughs> like how ticked would you be if you're like, yeah, you missed that whole day, I did a lot of great stuff, but every time you say something stupid or do something stupid, it makes like the, the real, right? 
I, I just kind of feel like that's what the disciples would have been like. Like every time I decide to take a nap, I've taken like three naps in my life, but every time Jesus has a moment, you know? <laughs> it's like in the garden transfiguration, the disciples are always waking up like when he needed them the most. There's just something about that. The disciples fail and yet Jesus doesn't fail. Here's what we learn. And yet even when the disciples fail to live up to the standard of discipleship, Jesus is still faithful on our behalf, amen? When we fall short and we fall asleep, Jesus is faithful. When we would have said, nope, this is crushing, I can't do it, I can't carry this weight, Jesus carries the weight. When we would have found a way out, guess what? Jesus didn't find a way out, he went to the cross. And this is a reality of our discipleship, that we fall short, we need grace, and yet God extends his grace to us, doesn't he? No, Jesus did what you couldn't do. We can carry our cross, but we can't go to the cross and do what Jesus has done. We're incapable of doing that. And to think for a moment what Jesus did for us. Here is Jesus in the garden facing what would crush you and I. Jesus knows the redemptive plan. Think about this. He faces injustice, torture, public humiliation and ridicule. Maybe the cruelest death possible. He's going to load our sin onto his shoulders. And he does it. In his humanity, he is quaking under the thought of all of this. I don't know if you've stopped in this garden story. Maybe you've heard it before. And you felt what Jesus would have felt. In fact, I want to do this as we wrap this up this morning. I just want you to close your eyes right where you're at. And I want you to think about what Jesus did. Can you think about this moment? He says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of sorrow. To the point of death. Think about your Jesus saying in that moment, "I, I don't know if I can carry this. The Greek that Mark uses in his gospel is the strongest possible language you can use. You know what other words for this mean and sorrow means? Horror. He was overwhelmed to the point of horror and dismay, shock, intense sadness and darkness had overcome him. Luke describes this scene like sweat, like drops of blood falling to the ground. If you're in this room and you've ever had a darkness come over you, if you've ever had depression or anxiety that seemed crippling and too much to bear, can I tell you, your heavenly father knows exactly what that feels like? Jesus knows what that feels like. He knows what it feels like to have this moment to say, I'm not sure I can do this. Like in this moment, think about it. Jesus, he empties himself of the divine privilege that is his to share in your suffering, to take your place. Our Jesus feels the weight of our sin and the pain of the cross. It feels like it might crush him. And yet in all of this, Jesus does not think of himself. He's not directed by his desires or comfort. Jesus doesn't protect or claim his rights in the moment. Do you know who I am? 
Jesus doesn't find a way out. In the garden, even before Jesus would go to the cross, Jesus gives his life. He's crucified in the garden. He gives himself up. He lays himself down for you and I as the disciples sleep. With every head, head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to think about this. As the disciples sleep, even when we fall short, Jesus doesn't fall short. Even when you haven't met the mark, Jesus says, it's okay, my grace is gonna be sufficient for you. When you and I, we put down our cross because we just can't carry it anymore and we get it wrong, Jesus says, it's okay, I'm gonna carry it. When we want our way, Jesus' grace is sufficient the work of Jesus done for us. Let me tell you this, this morning, City Church, my prayer in this next few moments, this season of this journey of Lent over the next 40 days, Father, would you give us the gift of the awareness of our sin? Would you gift us with this revelation of what of our sin has done and what you have done for us? God, as we do something really uncomfortable, as we sit in the shadow of the cross and we agonize over what it would have been and what you went through, would you become alive in our hearts? Would you give us a revelation of your love, Father? God, I, I pray for some people, whether they're watching right now, whether they're in this room who have felt overwhelmed, felt the darkness come on them, Anxiety, maybe depression, maybe something that's uncontrollable, they want out. Your heavenly Father knows what that's like. And He is here today for you, to carry you, to comfort you, to overwhelm you with His love, to look at you and say, No, I went for you, to make a way for you to have life and eternity to hold on, to continue to press in. Father, we pray, God, as we sit in the shadows of the cross in this season of Lent, overwhelm us with the reality of your love. Gift us with the understanding of our sin, what our sin has done and what you have done. Would it change us? Would it transform us? Would it lead us to repentance? Would it lead us to a place of surrender, we pray? Once you grab your communion elements with me and stand with me this morning across this room. We're gonna take in just a moment or a moment for us to recenter our hearts around the work of Jesus. But let me also say this. I believe it's much more than just cracker and juice. I believe it's even more than just symbolic of what Jesus has done. I actually would go as far in my faith to believe that this is a touch point where heaven and earth collide. People call these thin places where heaven and earth is thin because God comes down and meets with us. 
And I actually believe that when we take of the body and we take of the blood of Jesus, that the work of Jesus becomes active in our hearts. That means if you walked in this morning and you need to meet with Jesus or encounter him, I believe we can do that through these elements. I believe if you need healing in your body this morning, that the work of Jesus is available through, for you through the elements. Maybe something in your spirit and your soul, maybe it's your emotional health or mental health. Maybe it's you're overwhelmed this morning. Maybe you just need Jesus. As we're about to take in a moment, if you didn't need Jesus, then cry out to Jesus this morning. He's here for you. No matter what you've done or you're facing or you're going through, he's here for you. And can I just tell you how many times we do this every week that I just come and I say, God, I know that this is just a piece of bread or whatever it may be. I don't even know what it's made of. And I know that this is just juice, but I need it to become nourishment to my soul this morning. Like I need it. I need it to be more than that. I need it to bring life to the dead parts to the struggle, to the difficulty. If that's what you need this morning, that's what it can be for you. How I many of you were not designed to live with the weights of what we bear every day? Of the news, wars, rumors of wars, what could be lingering pandemics, dissension, division, political divide everywhere. And I just, for me, this is a moment of, of just breaking out of that and saying, no, man, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. You're deeply loved by your heavenly father. You're not in control of the future. You can't go back and change the past. You walk into your sonship and daughtership. Amen. And you said in that. Around the same time of Jesus in the garden, Jesus gathered his disciples in the upper room. What's amazing about this is the disciples didn't even fully know what was happening. They didn't understand it. And Jesus knows that. He says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to come and remind you of what we did and enlighten what now is kind of in the darkness. And it's amazing, like Peter can't get it right in the gospels. And you watch Peter in Acts chapter two, he's the man, right? That's what the Holy Spirit did for them. But Jesus gathered him in this room and he said, this is my bread, this is the bread that represents my body. It's gonna be broken for you. As often as you eat this, remember that my brokenness has made you whole. Step into this reality of that I was torn apart so that you could be put back together. And no matter what brokenness you're walking into the room with today, Jesus can heal and deliver and set free, amen? Let's take the body of Christ together. And Jesus took his cup. He said, this represents my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Again, the disciples didn't understand the reality of this, but one day they would. And we know that one day when we get before our heavenly father, even as we face judgment, we don't fear judgment because of the work of Jesus, that Jesus will see the blood, that the father will see the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. And we're grateful for that, amen? Let's take together. As always, would you take this moment of reflection, gratitude and thanksgiving? Would you pray a prayer of thanksgiving even just in your own way, right where you're at? Father, we thank you 
thank you that you gave your life. We are not entitled to anything. We are not deserving of anything. Everything is a gift. May we live from this place aware of our sin, aware of your love. God, let us walk out of this place with a life of gratitude overflowing because of the work of Jesus. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen, amen. Man, we're excited about this Lent journey. Uh, if you haven't jumped in with us, make sure to go on cc.guide, check out the Lent resources. Find something that you want to fast. I always say this about fasting. I think this is really important. Some, sometimes people focus so much on the fasting part and what they're giving up. They forget that what we're giving up should be replaced with more focused and intentional time with Jesus, right? We're not just fasting to fast. We're fasting to reorient the desires towards him, right? And I, I just tell you, I, mean, I can't tell you, I don't have my phone up with me today, how many times in the last few days I've just grabbed my phone because it's so natural for me just to jump on social media and then I realize my apps aren't there. And I'm like, well, that's the eighth time I've done that today. You know, it's difficult. You're reordering things in your life, but the struggle is worth it, right? We've got resources. We've got our daily Lent podcast. You're not alone in this journey. And let me tell you, it's worth it. What this season of Lent produces in us is just beautiful. It's painfully beautiful. Amen? Amen. If you're a first-time guest, let me say this real quickly. I'll be in the welcome room just across the lobby. I'd love to meet you. 30 seconds of your time. If any of our prayer team is in the room, if you would go ahead and make your way down front. And if you need somebody just to pray with you, you walked in this morning and you need someone to agree with you in prayer, please come forward. Allow somebody to agree with you. Uh, we're going to continue our Lent series, The Shadow of the Cross, next week and continue to journey together. We hope that you join us. Let's end with our mission statement. Go live it out wherever you are. Be the gospel. God bless you.